Good morning and welcome to the Dungeon Musings Podcast. My name is Kevin Madison and I will be your friendly Dungeon Muser today. Uh, today, boy, I'm doing a bit of a catch up right now and I wanted to talk about um, shaking things up, I think. Uh, when, um, you know, if you, when you lose, uh, momentum on, a on a game or on a, uh, a campaign, I want to talk about, um, at least a strategy I'm using to try and get that, uh, spark back, get that, uh, pep back in my step and, uh, get campaigns back to something that you're actually, um, really excited to, uh, to get involved with. So let's get to the episode. All right, so um, at the time of recording, we have uh, we're past our annual Dungeon Musings Marathon, the Musers Marathon, where we played a entire weekend of um, Savage Worlds. I'm sorry, uh, Savage Pathfinder, a really interesting uh, game that uh, combines the uh, the core mechanics of uh, Savage Worlds with the sensibilities, or at least tries to capture some of the sensibilities and the settings of uh, the Pathfinder uh, first edition uh, game. And uh, in the lead up to the marathon, we played just a ton of Savage Pathfinder. We played um, at least once a weekend. Um, we played, uh, gosh, uh, all, yeah, I mean, once a weekend for about a month leading up to the, uh, the event, um, sometimes more than once a weekend. And, um, in addition, we, uh, gosh, what else did we do? We played, we had been playing quite a bit of, uh, uh, Deadlands before that and Savage Rifts. And, um, we had also been doing a, uh, ongoing, um, series of, uh, uh, war stories that was, uh, set in our same setting as our Night Below campaign. And I just sort of, uh, I had really, I really, really, really enjoyed uh, the Savage Pathfinder uh, game. I think it's a really terrific, uh, terrific game, terrific implementation of uh, the Savage uh, World rules. Has some really good ideas in it. Uh, but the ultimately, I um, for myself, I kind of felt like we had one session where just the, the swinginess of the game uh, kind of uh, got a little, little too much uh, from from my liking, and um, I just uh, I sort of hit a wall. With it is, I, 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 we had a session where a bunch of uh, characters died, and uh, like, and I mean, like, a, like <laughs> uh, three, I think, uh, player characters died in one session, and then we'd had another one die the session before that, and we had two that very with without the help of the uh, narrative meta currency that we use in that game, uh, they would have died as well too, and um, it was, you know, like. Uh, I don't know. Like I, I've been really, really enjoying many, many aspects of the Savage Worlds rules. Uh, the the only thing that I kind of got um, that that last session uh, for those who aren't familiar with the Savage Worlds rules, they have uh, a mechanic in it in that called um, acing or exp- I mean, in other games they call exploding dice, but it's acing dice, which cause the dice to uh, when you roll the highest number, you roll again, and you add that to the number, and then you keep on if it aces again, you keep on going, keep on going, and what that can result in is some really, uh, you know, uh, unsuspected or unexpected um, dice results, and for, you know, for a while, that's that's, that's fun, um, but I, I think that I found ultimately with um, what the swinginess did, because it applies both ways, it applies uh, towards the player characters, and it applies uh, towards the uh, NPCs, 
and it can um, there's another related mechanic in the game called uh, critical failures which I and sometimes is referred to as fumbles in the game uh, that's when you roll two ones normally in the in the game you're rolling a dice equal to whatever your attribute is if it's your skill or your you know stat or whatever and then you're also rolling what's called a wild dice a d6 and you take the better of the two and then if it aces you just you know you get the benefit of uh, that dice acing if you roll two ones though you it's a critical fail and it's full stop like the the dice rolling stops the you can't spend any uh, meta currency at least in the rules is written uh, to to adjust that you're sort of that's that's what your result is and it can result in really fun and wild and unexpected play and the characters are, are surprisingly durable for for the most part as long as they have access to the narrative meta currency but as soon as that dries up it just becomes a very very swingy and unexpected game and i don't i don't want you dear listener to think that swingy is synonymous with bad i don't necessarily mean that i mean it can it it can be an awful lot of fun um and it can really give an exciting change from what uh you know, from what uh, you, you get in games that have more of a flat kind of uh, series of results, or at least a capped out series of results. And by that, I mean, like, you know, if you've got a plus three to hit on a D20, a D20 and you're rolling against a 20, you're really not expecting like, the likelihood of you succeeding in that is quite low, right? 50, I mean, 50% is, is uh, what you'd crunch that as, but you just instinctively you'd feel, ugh, it's not great. But because the Savage Worlds dice are, are smaller, you're you're playing with the largest, uh, you know, at its largest a d12, uh, and as soon as you get an exploding dice, you know, you get to get a much higher number than when you expected. And in that particular game, usually increments of four are um, what's called raises, which represent like a, an additional level of success. What it can mean is that the uh, the 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 results from games, particularly for damage, because damage uh, aces or explodes as well, uh, that can be really un, you know, unexpected. You know, daggers can suddenly do like holy shit, thirty points of damage, jeepers, and uh, and we've seen that happen in play. But it cuts both ways, and the the way that that blunts is with this narrative meta currency, and we just happen to be running quite low on it in that one session. So I was kind of, I mean, yeah, I may have been kicking myself a little bit for for that, but it just it. Um, I, I wasn't, I think the players all went along with the results of it, but I'm not sure they would necessarily uh, say it was fun results, you know, seeing so many characters uh, drop in it. And um, and for myself, I just, you know, uh, it, because the dice just did not cut the players away, and that happens in any game, but in Savage Worlds, when it doesn't cut their way, it really doesn't. Like, it really, really doesn't. And we had characters who were suddenly reduced to dying, you know, and uh, from one lucky hit or unlucky, depending on uh, which way you're looking at it. And I just, I, 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 the the enthusiasm and the the you know momentum I was feeling with that game, it just sort of like when I saw how that could well work out, it just all dropped away. Like it completely, I just did, did not have the same um, interest in running it. And I, I had a similar. Um, Result when at near the end of my time running the Fantasy Flight Star Wars games, uh, regular listeners will know that for about uh, about a year and a half, I think we ran a Star Wars Fantasy Flight or uh, Fantasy Flight Star Wars uh, game, and uh, we use all all three of their games: Edge of the Empire, uh, Age of Rebellion, and uh, Force and Destiny. And 
what I found is that uh, the characters only got to around maybe 150, maybe 200 XP, uh, which is not a huge amount, but it's enough to uh, have the characters' dice pools, if you're focusing your uh, your uh, experience points, to make them really, uh, like they had pretty large dice pools, and in that particular game, the larger dice pools just became so unwieldy and so unpredictable that the, you know, it's just a I don't know, it's a bit of a, a gong show trying to see how things work out. And and the one weird thing I've mentioned on the podcast before, one weird thing I find with that is that the narrative metacurrency, uh, you, you can have um, control over the dice you're rolling, but not the outcome of them. And for a game that, um, you know, for a game that, that relies or tries to capture the cinematic feel of the Star Wars uh, media, it's it's a bit weird that you can't, you know, you can't spend force points or destiny points or, or whatever they're called, uh, not not force points, destiny points to to try and actually like affect the results of dice pools as opposed to from the front end. But in any event, it, it's um, yeah. I mean, I, I just uh, I found that it I, I had uh, the same issues with or I was feeling the same way with Savage Worlds as I was with the other uh, with uh, Star Wars. And I, I also could see that, you know, like we were, because we were playing really like uh, two different games, uh, you know, a, a week um, in the four sessions we were having, it meant that, you know, players who could only make one session were automatically missing some sessions. And we were playing an awful, when we were playing t- twice a week with our Night Below game, we were seeing a lot of people miss uh, Friday sessions and we kept having to do, run uh, pickup games. And I, I don't mind running pickup games now and then because, you know, it's fun to suddenly, you know, be, all right, I got two hours, what game am I going to prep, what game am I going to run, um, I, I enjoy that challenge, uh, but what I don't is when it's every week, right, like when you're continually having to scramble something together, it just, it loses, you know, if, if what you're feeling going into the Friday and you got a, a game, a campaign game scheduled and you're sort of feeling like, all right, I, I'm kind of expecting that it's, it's not going to go through, that affects your enthusiasm, or at least for me, it affects my enthusiasm for wanting to prep and run that game. So after the marathon, um, I all got, I just got slammed with work uh, as well too. So I was just run uh, off my feet with uh, the day job. Um, and we run about 12 or 13 hours of games on the channel every week. So it's six to 12 hours, 12 games, 12 hours of games. Cause it's two hours on, on uh, uh, Wednesday uh, four, four hours on Friday and then three hours on each of the uh, Saturday, Sunday. And sometimes we run a four-hour game on uh, Saturday as well. And I just, you know, I I uh, I'd had some uh, charity sessions that I, I needed to get off my plate. So those needed to get run and, and written and whatnot in the in the midst of this really busy crunch time for uh, for my day job. And I was just, f- like, feeling burned out. And, and, I, and I, um, I didn't feel that the enthusiasm for Savage Worlds was there anymore. And um, I enjoyed the other games we had, and but I just wasn't feeling like the, you know, um, I wasn't feeling like, oh, gosh, I can't wait to sit down and work on these uh, campaigns. Um, so what I started thinking about is what we had done with our, uh, our uh, what do you call it, um, uh, Legacy of the Crystal Shard game, because that one, it... it um, that our legacy, of the Crystal Shard game, for those who are not familiar, is the campaign that we run on the weekends, and uh, that game 
on weekends, on uh, alternate uh, uh, Saturday mornings. Previously, what we would do with that game is uh, we would run it on uh, Saturdays, every second Saturday, and then every Sunday. And this was during the, the pandemic when, you know, everyone was stuck at home and whatnot. I wanted to give something that we could accommodate a lot of players and, um, and, and you know, you play more ADD because that was a, a really fun game and we were playing a lot of that and enjoying that quite a bit at the time. And then we, um, yeah, so we were going to run that and then we started with about like nine players and it sort of settled down to about five or six regular players who were showing up uh, on a regular basis. And um, I started to see, because we run an open table with that and because the games were spread across a bunch of days, we started sort of seeing people sh- like attending for different days. I, I'm not sure what the thought process was, but I imagine it's along the lines of like, well, I'll make, you know, I'll miss, I gotta miss this session, but I'll make, you know, I'll make one of them uh, this, this weekend or I'll make one in the next two weeks. And, uh, there wasn't consistency between what days. So we'd often find ourselves with, you know, running a game with two or, or three players, three players in AD&D second with the levels the characters had reached was not really a problem. But with two players at low levels, that's that's a challenge with that, or at least um, the combat encounters would be a significant challenge, unless I really scaled them back, which I, I tended to do. Uh, or we'd run a pickup game of something else. Um, so what I decided to do with that a few months back was to just set it on one day. I said, you know what, Sundays we'll, we'll start doing something different with it. Um, if you want to play on Sundays, if you have been playing on, on Sundays, you're going to be welcome back again uh, to play and um, the Sunday games, uh, the uh, Saturday, I'm sorry, Saturday morning, we'll keep that, you know, we'll do Saturday morning, Sunday, uh, Saturday morning, uh, one week it will be the Astonishing Swordsman and Sorcerer's Hyperborea game that we've been playing for about two years, and the other weekend, uh, or other, uh, Saturday morning will be a, uh, our Legacy of the Crystal Shard game, and that'll be once every two weeks, and that's it, and, that turned out really well. Like it, you know, the, the attendance for it went up. And I think by having one day in the calendar for people to, to, to fit, it made a lot, it made it a lot easier for them to just, you know, to find that date. Um, I also realized, so that was in the back of my mind that that's what happened with the, uh, legacy, of the crystal shard games. I had that in the back of my mind that that was a, uh, you know, that was successful. And I started thinking about the, uh, I wasn't interested in ending Night Below by any means. Um, so, but I mean, if, if no one's, uh, if we're regularly having to come up with something different on uh, on Wednesdays, or I'm sorry, on uh, Fridays, I, it was a problem. So, the question was, well, what do I do with it? You know, what do I do with it with with that? And also, uh, we had been playing uh, kind of pickup games of like Deadlands or other things on Sundays. I kind of like the idea of it being Savage Sundays. So I started writing, um, I started just running Savage Worlds on the weekend, and I had been really enjoying that quite a bit and doling out experience and getting characters to, you know, getting experience with the system myself to get ready for the gaming marathon. And uh, and I love, you know, I really, really enjoy running Westerns. And that was, it was a lot of fun, but I was sort of sort of done with, with that. And, I, and after the gaming, I poured everything into writing, you know, I took all the, the kind of coolest ideas I could think of to try and run that uh, gaming marathon. And I didn't know what I wanted to do next. And I, with uh, that particular, the gaming marathon, I should say, we played a, uh, a, a four-part adventure playing um, 
what do you call it? Uh, the uh, kind of a in the land of uh, Numeria. It's the land of sorcery and science, and it was a. Oh, I think I wanted to. Oh, darn! Wrong parking lot here. Wrong parking spot. I'm in the handicapped parking spot. I think what it is, it, or what it was, was a, uh, what do you call it? A, uh, where did I gotta go? Um, it was a uh, uh, adventure set in uh, Numeria, this this uh, land of science and sorcery, and it was um, it was really really fun. I, I you know I, I I was very satisfied with how that played out. Everyone seemed to have a good time. I had a great time running it, but it was. It was a lot. Like it was a four uh, or twelve or hour, fourteen hour uh, single adventure uh, split across a whole bunch of different characters. We had I think fourteen players who played over the course of the weekend, and we had um, as well a uh, an overarching story. I touched on a bunch of the different sub mechanics that are uh, used in Savage Worlds. So we had just it was, it was a great. I mean, I really couldn't have asked for it to go better. And then afterwards, we ran one short uh, adventure with it and I sort of realized then that I was kind of I was kind of um, looking for something different uh, to do rather than uh, Savage Worlds anymore partly because I was kind of burned out on the on the mechanics the way that I, I mentioned the swinginess of it and partly just because I wanted you know I knew there was a bunch of other games I wanted to get to the table and um, and so I kind of I, I sat down and I made a list of uh, games and categorize them as three different things, like three different uh, priorities of games. And I try to be honest with myself with like, okay, what are games I really want to run here? One of them was the games of the nightstand, which was games that I'd actively been like reading and prepping and whatnot. Um, the second was games in the back burner, games that I, I didn't have quite an idea that I wanted to run, but were pretty high up on the list. And then I can't remember if I called it games and I... I think I put down games in my mind. I should have said games on the horizon. That would have been more clever. <laughs> but what are you going to do? You can uh, after the fact uh, editing is always, um, you know, the way it works. Uh, but I, I really wanted to um, to run something that. Uh, okay, hold on, honey. I wanted to run something that uh, um, that that was from my my uh, my early list. You know, I, I had a really really good time running. Star Trek Adventures, and it got me thinking about some of the other games that I had, that I, you know, that I wanted to get done before the end of the year. So, in my next section, let's talk about the games that, um, I guess, the the plan I've come up with and what we're doing right now. All right, so that was this, the case I, uh, or situation, I should say, I found myself in, is that it really wasn't, uh, was not uh, enjoying the uh, the setup uh, because we just weren't having consistent turnout and, and blah blah blah. So, learning from my experience with the Legacy of the Crystal Shard game, what I did is, uh, for one, I decided to uh, set my um, Wednesday sessions as being night below. Those will always be night below. Uh, and part of the reason is because we've got one player who re uh, regularly makes Will. Re uh, he always makes Wednesdays. And uh, what it meant was that Will was often missing out on sort of the uh, whatever developments were happening on Fridays. If we And just because Fridays allowed for 
we played for four hours on Fridays. It allowed for more time. What I would often do is is save big developments or big, you know, uh, uh, what do you call it? Uh, set piece um, encounters or things like that. I'd often save them for Fridays. Not to exclude Will by any means, just because Fridays we had more time to, to spend with it, which meant that he was missing out on a lot of that stuff. So, uh, so that was, you know, a, a good uh, reason to keep that on, uh, on Fridays or on uh, Wednesdays, I should say. Um, I had also, you know, uh, that's for the last, uh, about, I don't know, four months, five months, I had been collecting, um, or at least re, re uh, plenishing my, uh, collection of, uh, Dungeons and Dragons third and 3.5 books because I, um, uh, I've been missing, um, uh, what do you call it? I, uh, I, I've done a review or an overview of second edition. I did an overview of fourth and I was kind of thinking like, you know, it would be a good, um, a good pairing to also match it with uh, third, you know, to do a nice big overview of third. But because like uh, second edition, I had stopped running and playing third edition or 3.5 by the last couple of years, so I really had no idea what was happening in those, and it had been a really long time since I had run third. So if I was going to do an overview, there's a lot of, of kind of relearning and research I needed to do, so I started picking up the books and was getting more excited for that, but um, as I started reading them through, I realized, like, I really think I need to see this at the table, and I was originally planning on doing, like, one or two one-shots to kind of get that the flavor, and the more I thought about it, the more that didn't seem like it was going to be good enough. Uh, so, uh, but I had no earthly idea what I was going to do to uh, do an ongoing game. Um, segue to me looking, I, I can't remember why I was looking at it, but we had some great feedback from some recent Barrel Maze games. And we had, uh, within 20, I think within 2021, we'd ran, we had uh, run a, a single session of AD&D 2nd Edition set in the Barrel Maze. Barrel Maze is a go-to uh, favorite on our channel. Uh, Barrel Maze is a terrific uh, mega dungeon designed by the great Dr. Uh, um, Greg Gillespie. And uh, the session, or the Barrel Maze is, I've, I've run a, well, a bunch of different systems so far and to varying degrees of success with each of those editions. You know, I've run it with, uh, let's see here, we ran it with Pathfinder 2nd Edition during the playtest. We ran it with Scarlet Heroes, we ran it with Pathfinder 2nd Edition proper, we ran it with uh, AD&D, uh, we ran it with, um, oh boy, what was the other one? Um, there's another edition we used, but I don't remember what it was. Uh, we've used Shadow of the Demon Lord with uh, Barrow Maze, and uh, I, oh, we've used Savage Pathfinder with uh, Barrow Maze, and I, I kind of... Uh, after running Savage Pathfinder and Barrow Maze again, we got really good feedback from about Barrow Maze in general, and I I just was thinking, you know, I wonder if I started looking at at D and D three point five and uh, pairing that with Barrow Maze, which you would think would be not a natural fit, but the more I kind of looked at it and the more I thought about how we've been running A D and D second because we run our um, A D and D second edition game like a pretty tight ship. You know, like we uh, uh, we use a lot of regimented rules in it, very similar to what you have in in third edition. Um, and I I kind of got to the um, I got the, I couldn't get the idea out of my head about uh, you know about running this uh, this game uh, with the three point five. 
And so I, I kind of on, on a whim decided to do a, a pickup. We made uh, characters one night for Baromies using 3.5 because it had been a while and, you know, I thought I'd see how the, how the guys responded to it and uh, or the players, I should say. And I thought I'd uh, see what the response was for the audience as well. And turns out both was pretty good, pretty good. And uh, we ran an encounter and it was less than satisfying, but... The at least uh, there was one encounter that went I think pretty well, and there's another one that was was uh, I felt was less than satisfying for the players, and part of it was due to my um, my lack of familiarity with the edition, and also because of the players uh, a lack of familiarity with the edition as well. Um, but it did feel an awful lot like Baromancy. Like the characters, the player characters, nearly died in the um, in this one kind of like uh, test encounter we ran. And, um, or like, a, you know, opening kind of sa- sample thing. Oh, why are you being a dickhead? Jeez. Dickhead. Yeah. Dickhead. Hold on here. Thank you. All right. So anyway, uh, notwithstanding the dickhead who uh, just would not let me in. Shockingly driving a Lexus. Wow. What a piece of shit. Um, anyway, the, um, the, uh, person who, um, Oh, the other person. The uh, after the first session, I, I kind of thought about it, and then uh, I, I really the, I got back into the edition and was reading um, more about the game, uh, and just kind of got a sense of like what is it that I did wrong, you know? Because I really felt that that was what the case was that I wasn't prepped enough, that I I didn't gauge the difficulty enough, and then I wasn't I didn't have enough of a mastery of the rules to properly adjudicate the the kind of complex rules that are there in three point five. And uh, I, and then I, I kind of said to the guys that, well, here's what I'm, I'm thinking of doing, is that the Fridays, instead of running uh, the night, night below on Fridays and having, you know, kind of um, only the people, the only people who usually set aside their Fridays to play uh, in, in one of the games on the channel were people who already were part of the night below. And then if they weren't able to make it, we were just sort of making do with who from that group was left over. So what I said was, well, we're going to run Barrel Maze on Fridays um, because it's, you know, 3.5, the open game license applies. So, you, you know, you can find all the information about the game for free online if you don't have a copy. And, and a lot of us already had copies of the uh, 3.5 rules uh, in any event. And then um, what we, I said is that like any, it's drop in, drop out. Just like our other games, if you're there, you will play. And if you're not, but I also started trying to incorporate a bunch of uh, the ideas that I had in previous attempts with Barrow Maze, like, uh, uh, you know, uh, recurring uh, minions, like the faction rules for within uh, Barrow Maze, and to present the actual dungeon in a, um, you know, in a better uh, manner. Like, to actually allow the players to try and get, you know, see progress as they're getting through the dungeon. And, you know, one of the things with uh, 3.5... Uh, you know, people talk about the the third edition and Pathfinder and whatnot as being, you know, they're more fair rules um, than you know the the kind of grittiness of old school and like that's to degree true that that the the rules for certain spells and things like that are are a lot more fair you know as it were in the sense that like everyone kind of has a equal chance and they're not nearly as um, or the at least the things that are immediately and and catastrophically punishing are a lot more unusual or uncommon in third and usually at higher levels than they are in um, 
you know, in uh, second or in second edition, second edition, there's lots of spells that are, uh, you know, phenomenally powerful at low levels. But the thing is, is that like that cuts again, just sort of like the uh, exploding dice. Like that cuts both ways. If if I used sleep a bunch of times on player characters, I'd very quickly have players who would not be keen on playing in the game because a bunch of goblins put them to sleep and then slit their throats. You know. Um, I mean that's a bullshit encounter as well too, but it's a it, it you are sort of required to bend the uh, the narrative to ensure that what the players' tactics are are not used against them. And in three point five, that's really not the case because of that that sort of like slightly flattened um, you know fairness ground. You can do that, but there's plenty of things that are just plenty deadly, right? Like we we ran a. Um, uh, the characters ran into a giant toad in one of our recent sessions. We're about three sessions into the 3.5 Barrowman's game now, and uh, lordy lordy, the uh, giant toad almost killed one of the minions. And we've had a couple of near deaths in in the campaign already. Um, but the interesting thing with the minions, where 3.5 is really shining here, I think, is that minions, um, because of the existence of NPC levels in um, 3.5, it means that we can actually grant experience and see these characters advance without them overshadowing the player characters. And and I like that a great deal because the minions, one of the things that is fun about Savage Worlds, about uh, the minions rules or, or uh, henchmen rules in old school D&D is that uh, I have found that the players definitely get attached to those, uh, those uh, supporting characters. You know, they don't become their single character, but they're important, and the, the and the group values them. So I like that I can incorporate those kinds of characters without it overshadowing the, you know, the um, the player characters in any case. Not only in terms of their capabilities, like how, how powerful they are and whatnot, but also in terms of their complexity. The NPC classes in 3.5 are bare-bones versions of the... Uh, their cognates. So, like, the expert is a lot simpler to run than a rogue is. And I know they're not quite the same, but it's, it's very similar. The warrior is a lot more simple to run than what the uh, fighter is. You know, uh, the acolyte, which I think is that the other one, um, the acolyte is, is much more simple to... Uh, acolyte? Adept? Maybe it's adept? Anyway, whatever it is. Um, a lot simpler than a wizard, a uh, cleric, or whatever. So, it's, um, yeah, so that, that was a nice little uh, bit where I thought the rules would, would uh, fit well with it. I also like the idea of sort of a more balanced um, playing field uh, in terms of, like, awarding gear and whatnot. ADD second is, uh, is fun for the wild, unexpected uh, developments that you get. You know, characters getting plus four swords when they're, you know, third level or whatever. You know, or powerful magic items when they're lower level. That is a lot of fun. It's a, it's a really great experience as a player. Sometimes ends up with wonky um, results at the table. Uh, just because characters end up just doing... Being able to punch a lot above their, their weight, but they can't take the hits uh, the way they can. So they you have kind of a glass cannon situation. Um, that's not so bad in ours. Or conversely, if it's defenses, they become effectively untouchable, you know, because of um, bonuses to their armor class. Again, that's not necessarily a bad thing because there's just, you know, you, as a DM, just be inventive and find ways to uh, to still challenge those characters but allow them the power fantasy of being these badass, untouchable characters. So, um, 
so yeah, so I mean, like I, um, the I guess the long and the short of it is that I, uh, I I thought that the game rules would be fun to see play over a long period of time because you know they're a little more balanced than what the second edition was, but they're still quite deadly. Um, I liked the idea of reacquainting myself with th- third and three point five in a campaign setting. And, uh, you know, so that when I do my overview, I can actually do an informed overview of the game. Uh, I really liked the idea of pairing Barrel Maze with it because there's, I could try out some interesting rules to make life a little more dangerous for the players. And, um, oh boy. And I also thought, um, let's see here, there was something else. Oh, and the, um, so there, there are a set of rules from... Uh, a Pathfinder first edition product called Ultimate Intrigue that I've talked about on the podcast before uh, that are the uh, influence rules. And I've used modified version of the influence rules before and I um, I really I enjoyed them uh, before because they, uh, they I don't know they, they were a really well balanced way of uh, uh, not balanced but they were a good set of rules for sort of uh, improvising, you know, missions and, and balancing sort of, uh, characters getting involved with NPC organizations in a fun and kind of, you know, gamist kind of way. And, uh, I've never, I never used them as written, but because, you know, third edition or Pathfinder first is so close to third, I was quite certain I could just use those rules as written. And that's exactly what I'm doing. And, They've already proven to be really, really fun. Like, characters are not necessarily following up on the, you know, um, on the things that, uh, uh, the, um, what do you call it? On the things that the, uh, the mission, or the characters, the, the, the um, sorry, I'm trying to do two things at once here. They're not necessarily following up things that the factions are, are only, you know, asking for. They're at, they're actually, you know, doing their own thing as well as what the factions are, are interested in. But it's cool seeing the players, you know, at least contemplating that stuff and having that as an option. So, like, in addition to exploring the Barrow Maze, they may have some task that, say, the Church of St. Yig might be interested in them pursuing. Or there might be a task that the Cult of the Green Man is interested in doing. And even... If they don't pursue them, I think what it does is it adds a little more verisimilitude to the setting. It adds it, it makes it more of a, a dynamic thing where there are um, things happening in, in the in the in the setting that even if the player characters are not involved and they're not pursuing what's going on, uh, they know that someone else is thinking that stuff. You know, there's there's people who are have their own goals. That they are working towards that, you know, make the world feel like more of a living, breathing kind of place. So, uh, I really liked that as well. And on top of that, you know, um, what I was going to do, like we did in our AD&D second games, is slowly introduce stuff. You know, introduce elements from other books and other uh, supplements over time to slowly try and learn more of the uh, of those settings, more of those uh, you know of what makes the um, 
the third edition uh, interesting, especially some of those uh, books that I never really got a chance to to use, uh, particularly the uh, some of the late uh, supplements like the Book of uh, was a book of Tome of Battle, Tome of Magic, stuff like that. So, um, so anyway, so that that just really that felt like a really good way to structure our Fridays, and it turned out I set up you know sent everyone the link to the game and said, hey, if you're interested in signing up for this, um, here's how we're going to do it. We'll go ahead and uh, make your character, you know, gave them links to the game, and then uh, we set up, rule, uh, you know, put together a quick set of house rules to model how we were going to create characters, and then just kind of, you know, saw what happened, and we've had a great deal, there's been a, a great deal of interest in it, and we've had, seen a lot of people who've been interested in playing the game, so... And because it's a uh, drop-in, drop-out kind of game, we've already, you know, we've said to other people who normally, you know, can't, or at least cannot commit to an ongoing game that if you want to just, you know, roll up a quick character and then uh, jump in a game for, you know, a night, because it's the barrel maze and most of us in the, in the player roster, we all know what the barrel maze is about and what to expect to, uh, to just do that. So... We, uh, yeah, that's been quite good, and we've even had, you know, when we've had sessions of only two players in it, the game itself has still been really, really good, uh, because we don't have to, uh, with a, with a henchman, the fact that they're down extra player characters really doesn't matter. Um, so it's weird that, you know, the best game that we found that fills that kind of playing with a henchman experience that is so, you know, so part of uh, one of, the, or at least one of the elements of uh, old school play. We found it with third edition D&D, you know, and that seemed to work uh, work best for us. So, so that's what we're doing on Fridays. With respect to the Sundays, uh, because I wasn't really keen on continuing on with uh, Savage Worlds and Savage Sundays, I wanted to find something different to... To sort of fill that role, you know, and what I ended up settling on is I picked two games that I had sort of uh, either one I had talked about quite a bit or one and one that I had sort of picked up on an impulse because it's something I'd really wanted to pick up for a long time. I've been thinking about going back to uh, a Warhammer game for really quite some time, Warhammer Fantasy, because I, uh, I, I've talked on the uh, podcast before how much I've, I've really enjoyed Warcraft back in the day, um, the Warhammer Fantasy First Edition or Fantasy Roleplay First Edition. Um, I my copy has lost its spine because I read it so much. I only ran it a bit. Um, I didn't run it as a regular, you know, campaign as a kid, and I never ran it rules as written. But it was a um, it was a game and a setting that had a, a you know meant a lot to me, and then. In you know, in the intervening time when I got out of out of uh, Warcraft, both uh, Warhammer Fantasy, uh, the world for Warhammer Fantasy, and the world for Warhammer 40k got a lot more complicated and a lot more filled in. And when I came back to it, you know, I had some PDFs of the Warhammer Fantasy Second Edition, and it was they're really really good. I ended up using the, a lot of the materials from them to help set up and to run some adventures for my Iron Kingdoms role-playing game because the so much of the material was so good and it was such a close 
uh, close enough cognate to the the uh, Iron Kingdom setting that I could uh, adapt the you know adapt the rules and adapt the setting, adapt the adventures to run for for what I wanted. And uh, but I, I you know and then I got into Warhammer Fantasy Third quite a bit. I started running a little bit of Warhammer Fantasy Fourth and been picking up the books for it, but it didn't quite grab me the way that the uh, you know the say the materials for Third did and. Uh, then I, in kind of an impulse, you know, I, I saw a lore video on the Warhammer Fantasy World. I got thinking about it again. I checked out to see what, uh, War, what uh, Noble Knight had on offer for Warhammer Fantasy games. And then, uh, <laughs> second edition. And the next thing I knew, I had an almost complete collection coming to me, uh, of, uh, of the books. And... As soon as I, I was sort of at that point still thinking, well, maybe second edition, maybe fourth edition, but as soon as I started reading second, it just really clicked more with me than what fourth did. And part of the reason is because it's, fourth has a lot of very interesting uh, but complex um, mechanics, particularly in combat and uh, in their experience point system and in the um, in the way that you structure or create. Uh, uh, monsters in it. I just, it felt like a, oh, and, and there was four kinds of narrative meta currency in the game, which is, is fine. Like it's playable. It's just that it's, it's a little busy for, for me and it wasn't what I was looking for. In contrast, second edition, it's got some of the crunch that about the same level as what we'd expect from like AD&D second or third edition to a degree. Less modifiers, I think, or situational modifiers than third, but, um, also, it just with all the books that I'd, you know, picked up, it just fit really well. So, or at, at least it, it uh, had access to a nice wide world of things and more things beyond just one corner of the empire. That's kind of the issue I've had with Fourth is that I like a lot about Fourth. It's a, it is a really, I think it's a really good game. The thing is that you're, I feel like you're kind of set to a, unless you're going to go to um, another edition source books, you're kind of set in one corner of the empire to play your adventures. And a lot of the really fascinating lore expanding things like the book on vampires or the book on the Skaven or you know the book on Bretonia, that's all for second edition. So anyway, so what I did is I said, all right, well, one Sunday a month or you know, one of the Sundays, we're I want to run Warhammer Fantasy Second. And then on the alternate Sunday, what I wanted to do is uh, get back to some 5th edition and run something set in Ravnica. If you're not familiar with Ravnica, it's one of the settings for Magic the Gathering. It's effectively like a giant planet-sized or planet-covering city that is ruled uh, by a compact of 10 disparate guilds. And to call them guilds is really just, it's a whole bunch of different organizations. Like there's a military organization, there's a governmental kind of like, you know, quasi legal organization, there's a undead syndicate, there's a, you know, uh, Dionysian kind of um, cult of destruction, uh, like there's some really, really cool stuff, a bunch of very, very different options, you know, a, a magical tech kind of uh, faction, a biotech magical faction, so there's lots of interesting things in the setting and all thrown together. And then on top of that, you can also, you know, you can choose to add in whatever you want uh, from other, you know, planeswalking kind of settings or, or other planes. 
And I, uh, I, I, I've always been interested in Ravnica quite a bit. I, I played a couple uh, of adventures in Ravnica with my son, but I made the mistake of starting at level one. And level one for fifth edition is kind of boring for the characters. So um, for this particular campaign, we're starting at level five. We are going to be using only the material from Core Rulebook and then um, Lizard Folk from one of the uh, supplemental books and then just stuff from the Ravnica book. Apart from someone might play an Artificer from Eberron. Um, but it uh, is looking really... I mean, I, I don't quite know what the campaign's going to be about. We're going to figure that out when we're making characters to see what sort of will fit with this group of misfits. But with both of these characters, both these campaigns, at the time of recording... We have made characters for Warhammer Fantasy II, and uh, that's going to be set in Bretonia, the kind of England-slash-France cognate in uh, the Warhammer Fantasy world. And um, that, with both of the, those campaigns, I really want to focus on designing stuff to fit with the characters and their backstory, as opposed to sort of the plot-based games that we are running in... Um, 3.5 in, you know, or in Barrow Maze, in Night Below, and in our Legacy of the Crystal Shard game. Those, I mean, they're, to a degree, there is some uh, character-driven stuff happening in those, because I, I do kind of run that way as a DM. But it's not the same as kind of right from the outset, trying to structure the stories around the backstories of the characters. I'm going to try something different with both of these. So, um, both games... I was very pleased to see. I really didn't know what the response would be, but it it seemed like a lot of people were very on board with both the idea that we wouldn't... For those who want to play every Sunday, they got two different games they can get excited about. And for those who wanted to play, uh, you know, to sort of make a more manageable schedule, having only one game was was good. And I've also got another game uh, proposed for uh, for the players which is um, Death Watch, the Warhammer Fantasy... I'm sorry, Warhammer 40k uh, game where the characters play uh, Space Marines. And I got like four or five players for that already, which is incredible because I really wasn't sure I would find anybody who (laughs) would be interested in playing that game. But here we go. And each of these things is, is intended to be not a fixed period in the sense that we're going to play four sessions and then we'll be done because I don't necessarily want to structure it that heavily but each of these is intended to have a finite period of play you know we're not going to be playing these games for an endless amount of time we're going to play them and then you know when they're done or the stories are done for for the first adventure we'll decide what we want to do if we want to take a break and play something different we'll do that because I got a bunch of other games on my list there um and if we do want to continue then we can and That change seems to have not only, I mean, for one, had the characters, you know, the players get excited. And I guess the last thing I'll mention about that is, but for both of those games, and for Barrel Maze as well, too, I wanted to get away from the habit I was kind of getting into, where every time we played a new game, uh, we would just do pre-gens. And the, the, the players that I'm fortunate to play with are quite good at just rolling with that and making them their own and whatnot, but... For so many of these games, that's a great big part of the fun. Is having a chance to make your own character and develop it and whatever. And um, in particular, uh, in a setting or a system like Warhammer Fantasy II, where you get to see that character 
come to life over the course of the life path system, that's a big deal. You know, that's a, that's a really a, a big part of the fun of, of getting to know that character, really getting invested in it. So, um, so yeah, so I mean, like I, I'm that we've got players who are very excited to play in this new, um, you know, some of these new games. Myself, I'm very excited to be trying out some new things. You know, like I, I'm, ex- I'm still excited for our ongoing games as well. Um, and with those, you know, the the excitement with these other games and starting to do the prep for these other games, it sort of got me thinking of the not the autopilot because like I still have been trying to make sure that every session is as good as I can make it, but I wasn't quite. I wasn't putting the uh, the work in to ensure that each session was the best. You know, that like not only did we have fun, like random encounters and some travel and shit like that, but like there was something useful. The players were getting something meaningful out of every session they attended beyond just like playing with some fun people and, and whatever. Um, and we ended up having this past week with that with the idea of, of how much more, not how much more work necessarily, but like how much work I was putting into structuring and, and like getting prepped for the Barrel Maze game, I couldn't help but be thinking like, well, okay, I got Night Below tonight. Let me, let me take a pass at making something really interesting for, for this. And I and it was great. It was really fun. You know, we had this uh, great session where the characters ended up role-playing with a dragon. And I think it's the first dragon I've introduced in Night Below that they've actually interacted with. And... I think it's the first dragon that characters have interacted with in any D&D game that I've run for at least 10 years. So it was really really great. You know, I got, I got to sort of tick some, um, some boxes. We can officially call the Night Below campaign, um, you know, title compliant in that it is advanced and it has dungeons and dragons in it. And um, I'm doing the same thing with the... Uh, Legacy of the Crystal Shard game as well, where I'm really, you know, we, we had some really good sessions talking about, like, context, and the thing that's interesting about that one, that particular, I mean, both of those games, is that some of those more chatty sessions where the players get a better sense of, like, uh, of where their characters are, it's almost like grounding sessions, where you're, like, just, like, it's taking the time to, like, really situate yourself or orienteering sessions where you're like, okay, where the hell am I in this story? What's going on? What is it I'm working towards? What's the context? And we had two really solid sessions of that, that type of orienteering session in both Warhammer Fantasy, no, Warhammer Fantasy, in um, uh, Legacy of Crystal Sharp and Night Below. And part of the reason I was thinking about doing those sessions that way is because of the prep for Barrow Maze and the prep for Warhammer Fantasy and the prep for you know, um, Night Below, and honestly, or not Night Below, and uh, prep for uh, Ravnica, which we're calling uh, Down and Out in um, to, uh, Precinct 6. And, um, yeah, I mean, it just, by choosing to say, all right, you know, how can I, uh, you know, first off, addressing, like, what are the problems? What's the problem I'm seeing with the game? How, why am I feeling the way I am about this? Be it uh, Savage Worlds, because I just wasn't digging the system anymore, or the lack of, of consistent attendance at uh, Night Below, or the, I don't know, the sort of lack of story ideas that were really getting me excited for 
Savage Pathfinder, you know, figured out what they were and then try to figure out what, um, you know, what a proposed uh, response would be. And I was open with my players about it. You know, I told them exactly what I was thinking. I told them what, what other sort of one shots or um, other, uh, you know, sort of short term uh, adventures that I had charity themed things. And I'm not going to talk about those just yet because I'll, I'd like to have some surprises for you fine folks. Um, but it really meant, you know, it, it was, it was great to just be honest with the players and say, this is what I'm thinking of doing. And here's what I'm thinking of the, of the response. You know, it, it seemed like that was a, uh, it was very well received, um, by the players, at least for, for the people who, we, you know, the, the amount of people that we've had sign up for these new sessions now, it seems to speak to them and showing up for them as well too. So anyway. So if you're feeling kind of blah about your, your games and I don't, I, you know, I, hopefully you're not running the, you know, same, uh, marathon stretch of, of games that I run. Uh, if you are fantastic, good, you know, good on you. Uh, but if you're not, and you've only got like, say, you know, two, two different games on the go and you're feeling kind of off about one of them, you know, one of the things is to, to talk to the players obviously and, and find out what, what's going on with them if you like, or look in yourself and, find what it is because players will show you and players will tell you, but if the players aren't engaged, um, I don't know. The thing that I think of is what your level of, as the DM, what your level of engagement is in the game. And the reason, I mean, that's pretty selfish, I guess, but you're the one prepping, you're the one organizing the time, you're the one you know, putting the work in to run the, the game. Uh, if you feel yourself that the game is is just not not working the way that you felt, you know, one of the things, think about wh whether the issues related to that are actually due to the game itself, like in my case, where it was Savage Worlds. And, I just, and also, I mean, the players, I don't think were quite as, at least the majority of players weren't as engaged with Savage Pathfinder any longer than what I was. And, or is it something just like, there's some other issue like split a focus between too many different sessions, you know, or available sessions or, um, you know, uh, too many, I don't know what in, in night below, we were just, you know, Fridays were so hard to, to get people to attend for it. And for myself, I found that I was, I was, I felt like I was wasting time or it wasn't worthwhile prepping for night below instead i'd sort of been assuming that we we're going to run a pickup game instead rather than you know if you can identify that that's the problem they just need to focus it or or give a you know a, a relief valve of running some different games like war stories i often run in my games or you need to schedule something new um consider doing that right like the the one thing that i would say uh is and i mentioned this on the channel before Keeping a regular schedule for the gaming is a really, especially with adults who have a lot of competing things to fit in their schedule, having a set day, that's your D&D &D day, or just like, you know, the old poker nights or whatnot, that's a really helpful way for players to structure their, um, you know, their time and make sure that they're available for the sessions they want to actually play in. And if during those times you just don't feel like running the same game, um, you know, see, and, and you do want to try something different, 
try something different. You know, your players may surprise you. I know that a lot of people play with a different group than what I do in the sense that it's not a roster of players and then we all sort of, you know, make some people pick games they want to play in and games that they don't want to play in that just don't. Um, sometimes people want to fit, you know, fit a game that is to everyone's liking. And uh, I can't, you know, I can't help you with, uh, with that necessarily. But if you are playing with players who are willing to try new things or to see, you know, games switch up to satisfy and you really feel that's the best bet, then that's, you know, um, it's, it's worth considering. I'm, I feel myself completely reinvigorated right now with respect to the games that we've got on the go. You know, I, I'm really excited to see what characters come out in our uh, Ravnica game. Uh, I love all the characters that we've rolled up in our Warhammer Fantasy game. I'm really, really enjoying uh, Barrow Maze uh, quite a bit. And I, yeah, I mean, I, I, I'm enjoying the ongoing games that we have, Ash and uh, Night Below and uh, Legacy Crystal Shard. Having only one session a week for, you know, each of those really, it really makes me focus on what I want to get done in that one session. Make sure it's something, you know, worthwhile and that drives the overall story forward. So anyway, um, that is the State of the Union uh, for the Dungeon Musings YouTube channel. I think now is probably a good time for me to wrap this sucker up and get a little bit of work done. Okay, so that brings us to the end of another episode of the Dungeon Musings podcast. Uh, as is always the case, if you have any comments, questions, or concerns regarding my ramblings about the uh, changes I've made to the gaming schedule in the Dungeon Musings YouTube channel in the last little while, my sort of rationale behind it, and what's been going on behind, uh, behind the scenes, please do not hesitate to uh, shoot me a voicemail on Anchor. You can also find me on our Dungeon Musings Discord server, you can find a link to that on any of the episodes of the uh, Dungeon Musings or on the Dungeon Musings YouTube channel for the last year or so. Uh, you can also find me on Twitter at Dungeon Musings, and you can find me by email. My email address is dungeonmusings at gmail.com. Um, anyways, uh, I hope that you have enjoyed this uh, session. Uh, now that things are getting a little closer to back to normal, I am hoping. To get back to a uh, normal schedule, or at least a semi-regular schedule of recording podcasts again, but you know we'll see. <laughs> we'll see how that goes. Um, plans, as they say, tend to change. So, uh, in any event, I do hope this finds you all healthy, safe, and uh, weathering the current crisis as well as you can be expected, or as can be expected. I hope that uh, gave you—I uh, don't know—maybe an hour to take your mind off the troubles of our world and think about the troubles that I've been going through as I wrestle with the uh, schedule of uh, games for the Dungeon Musings channel and for my own personal table. And until you see you again, stay safe, stay healthy, and happy gaming.